Hey, hey, friends. This is the Soul Care Podcast, episode 10. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm your host, Dave Cummings. It's really good to be back with you. It's been a couple of weeks since I've been on the air with a podcast. Uh, I've been on Christmas break. I'm a college professor, and I tell you what, the kids are on Christmas break too. It is amazingly difficult to find a quiet time in my house when I can sit down and actually record a podcast. I have had something on my heart that I've been wanting to share with you for a couple of weeks, and I just haven't been able to find the time. Uh, but today, my wife Anne is working. The kids are with their grandparents off at the movies. I put the dog outside, and I am locked away in one of the back bedrooms right now with time set aside just for you. So I appreciate you joining me. Really glad we can be together. Listen, before we get started talking about our topic today, which I'm really excited about, I want to tell you about something else I'm really excited about. Uh, many of you know that for the last couple years, two and a half years to be exact, I've been working on a book on stress, anxiety, depression, on my specific uh, experience with this, as well as how uh, I've climbed out of the pit, so to speak, the lessons that I've learned, the kinds of things really that we're talking about in this podcast. So if you found this podcast interesting, I think you're going to find the book interesting too. Now here's the rub. I've been trying to find a publisher for the book. And with uh, nonfiction, self-help nonfiction, which is the category my book fits into, it's really difficult to get a publisher to bite unless you have what's called a platform. They want to see that you have thousands, literally thousands, sometimes maybe even tens of thousands of followers that are just eager to buy the book right away. And that's not me. I'm a college professor. I'm a pretty low-key guy. I'm sharing what I'm what I'm learning, but I haven't built up any sort of fame or notoriety uh, for anyone to want to uh, jump right out and buy thousands of copies of my book. Uh, so instead, uh, and I've been hammering at this publisher uh, uh, hunt, this querying it's called of publishers and agents for over a year now, uh, I finally decided, you know what, this message needs to get out. This book is in good shape. It may not be perfect, but it is my story and a lot of what I've learned. And I'm finding that as I share my story, a lot of people are encouraged. Maybe you're encouraged too. And so I've decided that I'm going to go the self-publishing route. This is a route I didn't want to go for a couple of reasons. Part of it was just pride. I wanted to know that uh, Zondervan or Thomas Nelson or one of these big agencies thought that what I had to say was really fabulous. But they don't, uh, or at least they don't think that I have enough of an audience to make it worth their effort. Um, I did have one uh, one publishing house, Whip and Stock, very good Christian publishing house, make me an offer not too long ago. They said, hey, we want to publish your book. But as I looked at the details, I realized that the contract they were offering me really was still self-publishing. Uh, there was a lot of money up front, uh, and they were going to take what little earnings there might be off this book, and they were going to take control over a lot of things that I really want to have control over. So uh, I, I didn't see the, the benefit to it. And so honestly, I, I declined. Uh, it felt it was hard to do. It felt weird uh, after a couple of years, year and a half of trying to get a publisher to say yes. One finally says yes, and I tell them no. Uh, so instead, I'm going to go the self-publishing route, which is a lot more work for me, but I think in the end it's going to get the book into the hands of readers a lot quicker. Stock was talking about 9 to 18 months. Uh, I'm now looking at uh, somewhere around the end of February, early March. I'll let you know an exact release date soon. 
but it's coming really soon and i hope you're excited i sure am uh in the next podcast which will hopefully be just one week away i'm going to announce the title of the book and we'll talk a little bit about um about some of the content of the book and so as we get closer to publication date and release date i'll be giving you more information as we go along so anyway just kind of mark that away somewhere in your brain tuck it away and remember that there's a book coming that i really hope uh, you're going to want to pick up and check out another thing i wanted to tell you about is that not too long ago uh, a couple weeks ago i was interviewed by the Viewpoint Magazine. Viewpoint Magazine is uh, a magazine that the university, that Point Loma Nazarene University where I work puts out. It used to just go to alumni and the alumni distribution is about 50,000 people and now there's an online version. You can find it at viewpoint.pointloma.edu. There is just some excellent stuff on there. I really hope you'll check it out. Uh, If you take a look at some of the current work that's on there, there's an article that was written by one of the editors. I'm looking for the title. Here it is. It's called Respecting Our Need to Sleep, Why Short Sleep Shouldn't Be a Badge of Honor. I was interviewed for this article. It came out December 17th, so it's been a couple of weeks now. It was written by the editor, Christine Spicer. Great article. She did her homework. She really knows what she's talking about. And uh, hopefully I added a little bit to it and where um, the lack of sleep can really play into the hands of stress, can play into the hands of anxiety and depression and other mental health disorders. So I decided after doing that interview, and first of all, I'd really love for you to go check it out, viewpoint.pointlama.edu and see the article. Tell me what you think. You can always write to me at david at davidedwardcummings.com. And you know davidedwardcummings.com is my website. Lots of good resources for you there. But I decided I really want to talk to you guys uh, with my voice, over the microphone, over the airwaves here in a podcast about the need to sleep. And so I hope you'll think about that a little bit with me today, because what I'm finding is that, I mean, not only did I learn from my own experience just how important good sleep patterns, good sleep, what's called sleep hygiene, is for me personally in terms of managing my stress, dealing with my anxiety, keeping my depression in check, Um, but talking to other people, I have found that so few of us are really getting adequate sleep. And I think it plays more into our mental health than we're willing to admit. Because I think that our society uh, has sort of, well, stigmatized sleep. As weird as it sounds, it's, uh, you know, like the title of this article, it says, Why Short Sleep Shouldn't Be a Badge of Honor. Um, I think people view those of us who need sleep, which is all of us, or those of us who admit, how's that? Those of us who admit we need sleep as being weak and that somehow we ought to be pushing through on very little sleep because that's what that's what good tough american people do and quite honestly it's ridiculous it hurts our physical health and it hurts our mental and emotional health Uh, the the recommendations are that we get somewhere between seven and nine hours a night maybe you're saying oh that's great because i get seven a night but for some reason i'm still really stressed or i'm still always on edge well maybe you personally are more towards the eight eight and a half hour range and if you're getting seven hours a night that's not going to be enough for you personally so that range of seven to nine hours doesn't mean every single person as long as they fall within that range is going to be good it means that we each have an optimum and our optimum falls typically within that seven to nine hour range i've personally learned for me that it's more eight eight and a half hours and i just got to live with that 
it's a bit of a pain, I'll be honest, because I'd rather stay up, get things done, hang out with the family. Um, I'd rather get up early and be productive. But reality is I got to make sure that I'm getting at least eight hours every night or it really does catch up with me in a very short period of time. It's funny when we think of the things we need for survival. If I asked you, okay, what do you really need to survive? You'd say, oh, well, I need food. I need water. Maybe that's it. Well, you need food, you need water, and you need sleep. Try going without sleep for more than a couple of days and you will find that your brain gets completely scrambled and your body breaks down. We are dependent on good quality and good length of sleep in very similar ways and to the same extent really as we're dependent on food and water. It is what I would consider to be the big three of survival, not just the big two. They say that we can we can go for uh, you know 30, 40, 50 days without food, and there have been some unfortunate experiments where that's happened. You know, people lost at sea or or something along those lines. Jesus fasted for 40 days, right? And he survived that. And we know biologically we can do that. But if we go much beyond that, uh, you know, we start to see irreversible damage happening to our bodies. With water, it's much shorter period, right? Uh, just a, a few days without water. And, uh, and we start seeing just a, a few hours without water. We start seeing major problems a few days without water. And we're, we're in trouble. Our lives are at risk. With sleep... Somewhere along the way, we got it in our heads that, hey, we shouldn't need so much sleep. You're missing out on life. I remember years ago, somebody telling me, yeah, I've decided to shave off like three hours of sleep a night. And if over the course of my life, if you add all that up, I'm living a couple extra years. Well, okay, you're awake for a couple extra years, but at what cost? At what cost to your sanity? At what cost to your physical health? At what cost to the quality of life that you're living? Uh, I don't know if you've uh, ever had any babies in the house. I, I've raised, helped my wife raise three babies. And one of the things that we found was that when we could get a good night's sleep, we could handle just about anything the babies would throw at us the next day. But boy, if we didn't sleep well, if the kids kept us up at night, you know, one kid's crying at one point, another, another point at night. It just, if, if our sleep was all messed up, we found that the next day, our tolerance, our threshold for dealing with stress and other challenges was so low that even simple things, and we would just crack. We just did not have what it would take to get through a typical day without enough sleep. If you've ever tried to pull an all-nighter to turn in a paper on time or or even for fun like some people do, today I'm recording this on New Year's Eve. There's a lot of people going to stay up all night long tonight. I have no idea why. Uh, you know, we're gonna we live on the West Coast. We're gonna watch it on the East Coast. So nine o'clock, hey, Happy New Year, and we can go to bed anytime we want after that, because we've really learned to value sleep around here. A couple things that I want to tell you about sleep that are just so important. Um, if you're a student of any kind, okay, and that could be you're on a new job and you're learning new skills, uh, you're a parent for the first time, you're newly newly married, and so you are just in full time student mode, or maybe you're in college or in high school. Uh, and you're in f this m student mode where you have got to learn and absorb really to get through uh, each day, we find that, and I say we, okay, the, the, the royal we here, scientists have found that we learn so much better 
not only if we get a good night's sleep before the learning takes place, but a good night's sleep after the learning takes place. Something called consolidation happens. We don't entirely understand consolidation. Um, certainly when we sleep, there are toxins that are actually removed from our brains. That's important. You ever wake up and you know you didn't have too much sleep, enough sleep and, and you feel almost toxic? Well, it, it, it literally is a, to a chemical toxicity uh, that builds up during the day and we need that sleep time to do the repair and to remove those toxins. Um, but it also turns out that something in our memory centers, the hippocampus and some of the other memory regions of the brain, uh, really requires us to go into both non-REM and REM sleep, REM being rapid eye movement, in order to consolidate those memories and get rid of peripheral stuff that may not have been too important. So sleep is really important for our ability to learn. Good sleep leading into the learning activity and then good sleep that night after the learning activity. really want my students to get a hold of this. I, I teach microbiology courses at Point Loma Nazarene University. And I want these students to, to come to learn and understand. And if you're one of my students, please pay attention to understand just how important sleep is for this very process that you're you're here at PLNU for. You're in college not just to get a degree but to learn so that you can be good at whatever you do. You can be a good nurse, you can be a good doctor, a good researcher, a good teacher, whatever it is you're going to be. If all you're doing is surviving college and barely getting by in terms of sleep, you're not going to be learning nearly as much and you're not going to retain what you learn even if the grades look good. The grades can look great and if you get out of the university and you know very little, you're going to be pretty crummy on the job. If you're a nurse that doesn't know, uh, doesn't understand, let's say, how an infection works because you had to you know, pull so many sleepless nights through your microbiology class, you're not going to be as good of a nurse. That's just the bottom line. So you want to be good at what you do. You've got to learn and you've got to retain what you learn beyond the exams. And sleep, it turns out, is one of the most important factors in that learning and that, uh, that uh, retaining of what you learned. All kinds of other things we could talk about. Um, we know that chronic, chronically poor sleep uh, or chronically short nights of sleep are linked to high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, obesity, and yes, mental health issues like depression and severe anxiety. Um, we know that not enough sleep infects literally all of our brain systems, all, pardon me, all of our body systems, including the brain, the heart, the lungs, the metabolism, your immune system, your mood, your ability to, to fight disease. All of these things are tied together. One of the things that I really like is looking at some of the, the chemicals uh, in the brain, the neurotransmitters that are involved in setting things like our stress threshold and so on. And one that's really cool is called GABA. And the reason I like GABA is because it's fun to say. That's about it. No, no, GABA is gamma aminobutyric acid, really important um, signaling molecule in the brain. And GABA acts like a big calming agent. When GABA is being released... Um, the brain sensitivity, the brain reactivity really settles down and a sense of calm and peace sets in. Well, if you have a lot of GABA, you could be in the middle of absolute chaos and you would still be experiencing calm and peace. And it turns out that the hypothalamus and the brainstem both release GABA during sleep. And so
So sleep is really important for calming down our mental and emotional reactivity during the day, you know, or what built up that reactivity during the day, that GABA calms it down at night so that we can kind of start back at baseline again the next day. So many interesting things. Uh, I've got pages and pages of notes here. I would absolutely love to share all these with you, and I don't have time. That's reality. Um, but uh, some things that I do want to mention, right? So tips for a good night's sleep. If, if I've convinced you that a good night's sleep is absolutely important for not only your physical health, but also for your mental and emotional health, all three of which are tied in with your quality of life. If you care at all about your quality of life, which I assume you do, um, here are some, some commonly recommended tips for a good night's sleep. Number one, set a sleep schedule and stick to it. Right? If you go to bed at 10 one night and 1 a.m. the next, and then you're asleep at 6 p.m. the next night, your, your brain can't get into a good rhythm where it knows to anticipate when this healing and recovery time is going to happen. And so setting a sleep schedule and then really honoring that and sticking with that can be really valuable and powerful for getting a good night's sleep regularly and feeling a lot of those benefits. Uh, number two, 20 to 30 minutes of exercise each day is really good for getting a good night's sleep as long as that exercise is not at night, right? The, the experts say we want to quit exercising at least four hours before we're going to try to go to sleep because exercise, there's some arousal that takes place, right? Our brain wakes up, our body wakes up during exercise. You don't want to go to the gym and then go home and climb in bed. You want to uh, have all that done at least four hours prior to when you're planning on and scheduling to go to bed. All right, so set a good sleep schedule and stick to it. Uh, get at least 20 to 30 minutes of good vigorous activity every day, but quit that activity and really slow down physically at least four hours before bed. Number three, uh, avoid these ingredients. Avoid caffeine, avoid nicotine, and avoid alcohol, especially later in the day. Now, I suggest you avoid all three, period. Uh, but if these are a part of your life, then you want to limit them later in the day, the second half of the day. Basically, you want to limit them past about 2 p.m. Now, for me, I know Caffeine is just bad news. <clears throat> I quit caffeine several years ago because it kept me in a loop of headaches. And I hate headaches. I deal with migraines. I was hoping quitting the caffeine would ditch the migraines. It hasn't. But what it did do was get me out of this loop of waking up in the morning with a headache, needing caffeine to get rid of the headache. It was this addictive cycle, right? The Bible says uh, that everything's permissible for me, but I'm not going to let anything rule over me. And addictions like caffeine are things ruling over me. So it was a tough couple of months to ditch the caffeine, but... Um, I, I get my tiny little hint of it every now and then with decaf coffee, and that is all I need. Nicotine, I'm not a smoker. I hope you're not. There's absolutely nothing beneficial to it. But hey, if you smoke, finish your cigarettes by 2, 2.30 in the afternoon because they will interrupt your ability to get a good night's sleep. And then I think there's a million reasons to avoid alcohol. I've been clean and sober uh, since the spring of 1995. Uh, alcohol and I did not have a good relationship back in those high school and college years. And so uh, I, I made a, a very clear decision back in the spring of 95 to, to remain sober. And then I've been alcohol free with the exception of, you know, a sip of somebody's beer maybe here and there. 
um, but I've never had a, a drink of my own since 2004. So almost 15 years that I've been uh, completely alcohol free. And I'll tell you what, I don't miss it. There was really very, very little benefit to it. And you might say, oh, I like the taste of wine. That's great. There's lots of good tasting things out there. You've got to decide what's okay for you. You've got to decide how addictive it may or may not be for you. How do you behave when you're using alcohol? Uh, are you pleased with your behavior? Do you still make good judgments and good decisions? If if the answer to these things is no, um, then you know maybe God's calling you now to, to walk away. And if you can't walk away, either because you feel psychologically you need it or there's an actual physical addiction, then get help. Uh, one of these podcasts, I'm going to talk about the value of 12-step programs programs like Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, Set Free at Emmanuel Faith, uh, Celebrate Recovery at a lot of Christian churches. Um, there's such incredible power in these 12-step programs to help you break free from any addictive or or self-destructive behavior. Um, but alcohol is one of those that I think uh, is one that sometimes we, uh, in the church, we, we kind of forget how important it is. Uh, and people are either teetotalers and absolutely nothing, and you're going to hell if you're going to drink alcohol, which there's nothing in Scripture that says that. Or they sort of flaunt it and say, yeah, well, you know, after church, we're going to go out for some beers. Hey, uh, you know, Jesus drank wine. It's all cool. Well, okay. You've got to decide what makes you stumble and what makes the people around you stumble, and you got to make some serious um, intentional decisions about that. So back to good sleep. Set a sleep schedule and stick to it. Uh, exercise every day, but stop your exercising bef uh, several hours before bed. Avoid um, food intakes in the form of caffeine, nicotine, or alcohol. I'm just lumping them all together as foods, especially later in the day. Uh, build up, number four, build up a good relaxing routine before you go to bed. If you can get a good routine going, it starts signaling your brain that, hey, it's time to release some melatonin. Oh, okay, we're going to start making the room a little darker, we're brushing our teeth. That must mean we're getting ready to go to bed. Okay, maybe you're reading a passage of scripture, uh, putting on your PJs, having a cup of tea, whatever works for you, right? But some kind of a relaxing routine before bed starts to prepare your brain to actually start moving towards the sleep patterns. No TV or computer in the bedroom. That's a tough one for a lot of us, um, especially computers, especially our cell phones. For a variety of reasons, uh, the, the lights themselves continue to tell our brain that, hey, we should be awake, right? Uh, light, and in particular blue lights for some reason, tell our, our brain that, that it's still daytime, even if it's nighttime. And so getting rid of those lights, starting to dim lights around the house. Um, one particular author talks about putting your phone to bed long before you go to bed. Uh, it's a great habit. In our family, uh, phones don't go to bed with us in the bedroom. We don't even use them as our alarms, right? We all have separate physical alarm clocks so that phones can all go out into the dining room, get charged overnight, and they're not interrupting us, tempting us, etc. But But consuming that blue light, not just the mental activity, uh, stimulating activity of watching videos or reading articles or sending texts or whatever, but actually getting that light reflected into our eyes and received by our brains disrupts our sleep. And so a couple hours before bed is the time to, to cut off the TV, cut off the, the laptop, the tablet, the cell phone, and start allowing your, your eyes to receive darker images, which will, will help to coax your brain towards sleep. 
The other idea of having no TV or computer in your bedroom is many experts say that your bedroom needs to be for sleep. And if your bedroom is for reading, for working, for watching TV, for playing games, for a variety of other things, you lose that important cue that, hey, I'm in the place where I sleep. All right, so that was number five. Number six, dark and quiet bedroom. Again, that comes back to, to lights mostly and the importance of, of lights uh, in signaling your circadian rhythms that it's time to sleep. Um, let's see, what do I have here? Oh yeah, number seven, don't, be, don't lie in bed awake. So if, if you're lying in bed and you cannot get to sleep, get up and go do something productive. Uh, go read, walk around the house, get the dishes done, whatever you need to do until you feel like you're ready to sleep. Again, helping your brain to associate being in bed with being ready for sleeping. And then number eight, see a doctor if you need to. Uh, don't be ashamed if you're having a tough time with your sleep. This is nothing to, to uh, blame yourself for, but there are specialists who can help you. Go see your primary care doc, and if they send you on to a specialist, great. If not, maybe they've got some good advice for you to help you start getting better sleep. But here's the bottom line, okay, if you don't believe me yet. Good night's sleep is super important for your mental and emotional health, and we know that that then sets the tone for your quality of life, for the quality of your relationships, even for the quality of your Christian walk if you count yourself a follower of Jesus. It is so difficult to spend beautiful time with God in worship, in fellowship, when you're stressed out, when you're on edge and anxious, when you feel low and depressed, or when you're so tired that you can't stay awake during those times. So I just want to strongly encourage you to make good sleep hygiene, that's kind of a fun way of saying it, good sleep hygiene a high priority for you as part of your overall package, your overall toolkit of how you're going to manage your mental and emotional health. It's been great being back together with you guys. I'm so sorry it's been a couple of weeks. Hopefully I can get back into a pattern of every single week once everybody goes back to school and work next week. Um, but I look forward to being with you guys again. Keep an eye and ear out for information about this book, which will be coming out before long. Really excited about that. Glad you could be here. You guys take care.